Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We are excited that you are here with us, and hello to all the men uh, that are here in the room. Uh, we are uh, uh, excited to jump into the next step uh, in our ongoing journey through the book of Genesis. We, you realize this is the eighth month. We start uh, month number eight of us being in the book of Genesis, and we will land today in Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29. So if you want to go there, go ahead and turn there, uh, you can. Things you need to know, of course, this uh, weekly Bible study is uh, uh, in 2020, started being brought to you by themanchurch.com at its foundation. It is a men's Bible study, but, and I've heard from the women even this last last week, there are women that still watch this all over the country. Look, we're doing expository teaching through the Bible. That's perfectly okay, and we're glad that you are joining us too. But here in the room, it is all men, and, and uh, there's, a, there's a core of this group that has been here uh, for eight years. Uh, we, we started at a new location this past January, uh, but this has been an ongoing study. But themanchurch.com started uh, March 1 of 2020, a men's discipleship strategy uh, that is, is turnkey. You could plug this into your church. Uh, you could plug this into your community group, and, and every year we'll have an entire year set up for you. Uh, and it's a combination of high challenge, men coming together in gatherings and 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 fellowship, and then of course it also features what has been sorely missing from a lot of men's strategy, and that is high equipping. Uh, and those are the small group Bible studies, and we have a curriculum that are designed uh, for men and for you to sit down in a group of men and and work through uh, different topics and and scripture. Uh, We have three of those that are available. They can all be found at themanchurch.com. But also if you're an individual and you said, you know, I just like some resources for myself uh, to teach me how to uh, get in the the Word of God on my own time, we have those resources available for you too uh, in some 40-day devotionals that you can also find uh, at themanchurch.com. We're working on some new ones. We'll have a new one coming out at Christmas, and then we'll have a new curriculum coming out in 2023 as well. So let me tell you about some of our gatherings. I told you how you can get all the resources, but you also can attend gatherings. You enter the strategy one of two ways through a gathering or through a small group uh, Bible study. Uh, But let me tell you some that are available. Coming up this week, it is the first week of August when the study is is live, uh, and I'll be at First Baptist Church, Crestview, Florida. Uh, I believe this is their fourth man church, so they're completing uh, their first year and their first curriculum. So if you're in and around Crestview, Florida, and you want to join us, please do. The service starts at 6. Uh, you probably missed the window to get the steak dinner, but that's the only thing that costs anything. If you're just coming to the service, that starts at 6 this Saturday night. August the 12th, Henderson, Tennessee. If you want to get real specific, the community is actually Finger, Tennessee. Old Friendship Baptist Church, they're doing the men's discipleship strategy. They do it as a Sunday morning option, men that have a, a, a Sunday morning option, and they're going through the curriculum. But this is their next gathering. It is a ticketed event, so you need to get a ticket. Rich Wingo will be coming there on August the 12th. August the 20th, uh, Andrew Varvudis uh, from Team uh, Man Church will be headed out uh, to Bolivar, uh, Tennessee, First Baptist Church of Bolivar, and he will be there. This is their big kickoff as they're about to start uh, their first curriculum. So if you want to be there, you can. On August 21st, I'll be in LaGrange, Georgia, First Baptist Church on the Square. They're kicking it off, and I'll be there for their first service. That's coming up on Saturday night, the 21st. August 26th, Mark Garnett's in Avon, Indiana. He'll be there at Harmony Baptist Church if you want to join him. Uh, they This is their second year, but this is their next man church. And then uh, First Baptist Church, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, on August the 28th, and Rich Wingo will be speaking there. That's his home church, and he runs the men's ministry there, and he's going to be doing the, the speaker for their next man church. They are in their second curriculum as well. So all this can be found, and there's others into September and October and November. You can find all those at themanchurch.com under upcoming events. Also, don't forget about our app. Uh, it's it's, it's great, a great resource tool. It's called Strive, S-T-R-I-V-E. Get it wherever you get apps, and it has all sorts of resources, including archives from this Bible study, daily devotions, articles, uh, some sermons that uh, are from other men that we trust uh, in their handling of the Word of God. So the Strive app is another great application in your ongoing spiritual growth. Uh, you can get it for seven days for free to see if you like it. If you do, it'll be nine ninety nine a month, and new stuff is added there weekly. 
So uh, you can pick that up wherever you get apps. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump into Genesis 29. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, We are excited about the opportunity to open your holy word and to glean from it uh, what you intend. Uh, Lord, I'm so thankful for the men that that are just so loyal uh, to this group, and they have been for years, and their devotion to growing spiritually and watching how we've all grown doing this together. Uh, also, there's all sorts of prayer requests across this room right now, Lord. I, I know that we have some guys that uh, uh, they're still recovering from the ongoing uh, viruses that keep variants that keep popping up. Nobody having serious problems, which is great. Uh, Lord, we pray for those that, uh, that have upcoming surgeries and doctor's appointments, uh, and uh, just pray that your hand will be upon uh, all those that you've gifted so much. Uh, that uh, that some of the guys will just see relief and some of the issues that that we all face in the aging process uh, are just uh, you know something that has happened to us even young men uh, so many different prayer requests so many things going on in this room and then we can't even imagine Lord the things you know about those that are watching today or listening I pray Lord that uh, that there'll be something for them today uh, that is supernatural uh, and and they'll they'll see you uh, in your glory that you be made much of today. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, so um, we, uh, we we do want to open up, and I know that, uh, Jerry, I know your back surgery, I got that. Uh, we're, that's what I'm praying for, but there's other things. August 12th, is that right? Yeah, so let's all be in prayer for Jerry, who's here in our group. Uh, he's been going through a lot of pain, and hopefully this may be the solution. So, uh, but it's going to be some dicey little surgery when you're dealing with backs and spines and necks, and so so be in prayer for him uh, that we see some relief coming up on the other side of this. So let's look at ja- chapter 29 of Genesis. A couple of themes that we'll see here. Uh, the two themes that we see is that Jacob is going to get a test of his, I mean, a taste of his own medicine. Uh, the deceiver will be deceived, and we will talk about that. Uh, and also, there's going to be. Uh, this is going to cause. Uh, we're, we'll leave this chapter today uh, with two wives that that are not going to like each other. Let me tell you what's the only thing worse than having one wife mad at you is to have two. So, uh, so that's uh, we're going to see that at the end as mistakes just continue to be being being made when people decide to do things their own way as opposed to God's way. And we talked about that. Uh, those of you, uh, you may have heard this saying before. Have you ever heard the saying, "You reap what you sow"? Well, that comes from Scripture. Uh, now, I want to be real clear about this, and I, I talked about it uh, on the uh, on the air today to be sure that those that were joining us would understand what we're saying and what we're not say, saying. So Galatians tells us in chapter 6, verse 7, uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Uh, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Now, it goes on to say if you decide to, to reap, uh, you know, sow in the flesh. You're going. You're going to reap what the flesh produces. And if you decide to, uh, you know, to to go and and sow with the spirit, then you'll you'll reap what the spirit produces. And and um, so what what's what what the Bible isn't saying. And I think this is important. Well, sometimes you got sins that God just never forgive you. That's not what it's saying. Uh, if if we repent, we have seen that Scripture clearly says that if we repent of our sins and we turn from our sin, and we turn to Christ, and we leave faith in ourselves, and we put faith in him, and we say, please forgive us of the sins we have forgiven, Scripture tells us clearly that he will forgive us by the sincerity of our heart, which the only people who know that is the person repenting and the God who's hearing it. Uh, We don't know the sincerity of that, and Jesus said you'll see if they were sincere or not by what happens next if you see a change in their life, because he is capable of radically changing us. But now let's talk about what Scripture is saying. Doesn't mean God can't use you, no matter how bad the sin is. Doesn't mean he won't still use you. Doesn't mean he won't still fulfill his purpose in you. But what it does mean, if you've done something your way and not the way God said to do it, that even though that sin has been forgiven, there are earthly repercussions that are in play and, and and those still may haunt you while you're here on earth. I, I can say that in my own life. There's things in my own life that I did not do the way that God said to do, and even though I have been uh, redeemed and I have been made a new creation, and as I continue to be sanctified, uh, thanks to the, the power of God, 
Uh, I am nothing like the man that I once was. But I can't go back and change some of the things that I did. So my relationships, uh, like you know, two of my children, will always be children of divorce. There's nothing I can do about that. I can't change that. Uh, and there's certain things that happen and, and bo- that 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 um, are obstacles you have to overcome because that's not the way God said to do family. Have I been redeemed? Yes. Have I been happily married and and uh, have been uh, you know for 26 plus years and and have have all these things and these sins been forgiven? They have, but there's certain things that uh, that'll never change on this side of heaven. Now, once I enter into eternity, none of this is going to matter. Uh, but it matters now because so so it goes back to the thing that you've heard us say so many times. Praise God for His grace and our redemption, and being reconciled, okay? But what we have to always remember, as Paul screams from Romans chapter 6, don't be grace abusers. You have been freed from sin. You have not been freed to sin. And sin, say it with me, always matters. It always matters. Uh, and it, 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 that's what the, you're living in a world right now that thinks sin is just an all shucks. But when you look at what sin did to God's son, if that alone are let you know that it's a really big deal. And God hates sin. He hates it. I mean, so much so that he his son was was brutally massacred. So we look at that, we say, what a gracious God. Yes. But you know what also we say? Wow, sin really matters. So it takes that. So so that's what you're going to see. Jacob and his mama decided they would accomplish what God already said he was going to accomplish, but they were going to do it their way. And even though Jacob and Rebecca have been forgiven of this, it's going to continue to plague him, and God's going to give him a taste of his own medicine. And, and so you you will, and that doesn't mean God doesn't forgive him. It means God's teaching him a lesson that 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 when I say to do something, you do it. And if you decide to come up with your own plan, you, you, I'm I'm going to discipline you to the point you you'll regret that. You you'll learn not to do that anymore. I've told y'all before. I'm 57 years old. I won't play with matches because of what happened to me when I did. Because I was told not to play with matches, and I set the woods on fire, and 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 my punishment from my parents, and mainly my father, was so severe I didn't do it anymore, and I won't do it now. I'm already I don't I'm not playing around matches. Uh, I'm 57 years old. I'll tell you one thing: I, if I was still allowed to play football, I wouldn't do an end zone dance anymore. I did that once too. I won't do that again. Uh, so, some people say I don't dance because I'm Baptist. No, I don't dance because what happened when I did. So, so, so th- that's that's the deal. So, know this background as we jump into this, and we know that Jacob, in the first uh, verse, we're going to see where Jacob's journey. Remember, we left him last week because of the deception. What happened? Rebecca ended up losing uh, the her time with her son. She cuts her plan. They pull it off. They deceive Isaac. But remember what we learned last week? But now Esau is so furious that now she's got to tell Jacob, you got to go with her on. you got to run. And she's not going to see him for 20 years. See, earthly repercussions. She's forgiven, but now this relationship that she was so obsessed with with Jacob and she picked her favorite, God's going to take her favorite and say, how about 20 years without him? And he does that because he loves Rebecca and because he loves Jacob because he wants them to learn that there's always repercussions for you trying to do it your way. I know what's best. So anyway, um, so it starts out in verse 1, and we'll just read this. It says, um, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Now you think, well, wait a minute, what, what is this? That, why, is, why is Moses saying it this way? Well, the, the land of, of the people of the east, if you look at it, it, it the, the Arameans are there. But there's also various descendants from Abraham. So he is where he's supposed to be. That's the way, even in this area, uh, uh, the descendants of Abraham are there. And this family he's looking for, he is in the right place, and we find that out pretty quick. So verses 2 and 3, And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep 
lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. Make a note of that. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Now, you got the scene? I, I think I'm in the general region where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not sure I've arrived. You realize this is all on foot. Okay, and and they they didn't have they didn't have GPS, they didn't have Google Maps, and so they're working this out. And he says, "I think I may be in the general area. I, I've been at this a while. I'm not sure where I am." And I roll up, and I see that there's some shepherds, and I see there's flocks of sheep, and I see there's a well with a giant uh, stone covering the it and keeping it from rolling out. And so this is the scene that he sees. Um, so he's still not sure of the location. Uh, but um, apparently Moses wants us to know, and you'll see here in a minute, this stone is large. He didn't just say, well, there was a well there and there was some sheep. He wants us to see there's a giant rock. Does this sound familiar at all? There's a giant stone that's in the way of the water that will flow to feed the sheep. Everybody everybody hear that scene? That sound from, does that sound like anything you ever heard of? Foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Okay? And so Jacob... Uh, apparently one of the things that, that, that Moses is trying to let us know, this rock is so big it can't be moved by just one person. And this was designed, and we'll get into this in a little bit, for no one to hog the water. Meaning if somebody gets their flock there for the rest of us and they can just roll it away, they're going to have all the water for their sheep, move on, and some of the rest of us are going to show up, and, and, you know, and it's not going to be enough for everybody. So it was designed that you really couldn't roll it away until multiple shepherds and multiple flocks got there. Does that make sense? So, uh, so at 4 through 6, let's read this. Jacob said to them, the shepherds, My brothers, where did you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. You ever had that, that happen to you? You don't know where you are. And you're trying to figure out you've gotten lost, you've turned the wrong way, and you said, Hey, where, where am I right now? And when somebody says, well, you're where you're supposed to be, isn't that a great feeling? You ever had that feeling before? Now, especially for GPS, it happened a lot. Uh, you, you thought you were at the right place. You weren't quite sure. And when somebody affirmed it, it was a great, great feeling. So, uh, so he's, they, when they say they're from Haran, th- th- this, this is good news. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. More good news. Okay. Six, he said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. See, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Okay, so this his timing's great here. Man, it's really it's really coming together right now. So he says, Okay, I'm trying to figure out where I am. I find out that they're from Haran. I like that. They know Laban. I like that. And they've pointed me to Rachel, who's bringing a flock up. I'm in great shape right here. This this is this is looking good. Now, now, this is cool because Rachel gets introduced here in verses 9 and 10, um, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk about the, more of that, but let's go to 7 and 8 first uh, because there's something interesting said about um, Rachel in, in 9 and 10. So in 7 and 8, uh, the next thing that, that takes place, he said, Behold, it is still high day. Uh, it is not time for the livestock to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. There's confirmation on why this large stone is here. We well, we can't do it until everybody gets here. Now keep in mind Jacob is is a shepherd too, and he knows the deal. He looks up and he says, This is not how you do this. What are we doing with these sheep laying out here in the middle of the day? This is not the time we do this. Why have y'all not watered these sheep? But they need to be grazing. You're losing daylight. You, this is when they need to be grazing. He knows what he's talking about, and it, it is interesting that he doesn't uh, get any pushback. Um, so Jacob doesn't like the plan they've worked. He wants them watered now, uh, and he says that they're wasting time. And really what he's saying is he's looking around and go, water the sheep and move on. And, of course, they're saying, we, we can't. We can't do that. I mean, this stone's too big, and we got to wait for everybody to get here. So verses 9 and 10, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. How about that? Rachel was a shepherdess, and, and you didn't see a lot of shepherdess. There were very few females who were shepherds, but, but she was. As a matter of fact, Sherry has a picture of a shepherdess 
down at our farm, and and we believe it's one of the few, if not one of the 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 only uh, depictions of a female shepherd that we've ever been able to find. Uh, but there, it's it's really cool, and it's called the shepherdess, and it's a really beautiful picture. So as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob, did you hear that? Jacob, Jacob was able to do it by himself. Now this is this may be why no one gets upset with him. Uh, because I, I believe everybody goes, did y'all just see this one guy just move this up? Apparently Jacob is a strong man, uh, and we, we get Rachel introduced as the shepherdess of her father's sheep. This also tells us why is this important. She's young and unmarried. No one would be in charge of the sheep if they were married or they were old. She's young and unmarried. Jacob shows that he has quite a bit of strength uh, because he is so ready to meet Laban and get this thing started. He's been on a long journey. He just goes over and moves the stone himself. Um, not sure if this broke any sort of protocol. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really say. Uh, but nobody questioned him. It may be that what he did was rude, but he could move the stone, so everybody just kept their mouth shut. I mean, it, it, it could have been that. Um, so, so no one questioned him at all. Um, and, uh, and it could be just because, as I said, he had uh, shown his strength. Uh, and also, we, we don't know. It could have been that he's so strong and nobody wants to question him, but it also could be we wait for a certain amount of flocks to get here, and Rachel was the, was the third flock, and that was enough, and we could get started anyway. We don't really know, but, but no one seems to get on to him for doing this, and he does show that it may take a lot of y'all to move, but I can move it. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Don't miss all the foreshadowing. Everything. Who's the Bible about? Jesus. The whole Bible's about Jesus. So, um, so verses eleven and twelve, um, and this, this, there's so much going on there that is so cool. So, in eleven and twelve, we see what happens next because Laban's ready to get this party started. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. Don't read more into that than 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 you need to, and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Now, we're not talking about that, that, he did, that he was kissing her sexually or passionately. It was common. that it, They didn't do it a lot, but if you were family, it was not a big deal for a member of the family to kiss a, a woman in the family on, on the cheek. You see he wept. He, he is so overcome with emotion that he's accomplished the journey. He made it to where he was supposed to be. God has has done what he said he would do. He got him to Haran. He realizes, I've connected with a, a daughter of, of Laban who I'm looking for. Now, it doesn't seem right now that this is an instant attraction, so don't read that into the kiss. He's just so elated that he found who he's supposed to find. It probably hasn't even dawned on him yet. Wait a minute. You know, Isaac told my daddy told me I need to marry one of uh, my mother's cousins, and and this this is one of them. I think he's just so overwhelmed with the fact that he got there and that this is where he's supposed to be. Have you ever had that happen before, just you're elated, you completed the journey? Uh, we made it. We, we, we got here. Uh, I remember how emotional it was the first time Sherry and I went to Israel, and it was a, a long flight and, and a journey, and there was that moment when you stand there and realize we got here. We've been wanting to come to Israel our whole lives, and of course, this was a year after our son had gone to heaven, and and we wanted to be on that anniversary to this special place to God. And I remember being overcome with emotion when you finally realize we're here, we did it. Um, and um, and so we we don't we don't see this that this kiss has nothing to do with her going to be uh, him wanting her for his wife right now. Okay, this is nothing but family and a celebration, and it was not anything out of the ordinary. Again, especially inside the family. And if you don't believe that, she's not offended by it. She, she runs and goes to tell Laban to celebrate that Jacob has gotten here. And uh, this is one of Rebekah's sons. So verse 13 and 14. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. Jacob told Laban all these things, meaning here's why I'm here Here's the journey I've been on. This is why I was sent. And, and Laban says to him, Surely you are bone and uh, my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So Laban apparently was anxious to meet Jacob too. Why? 
Remember, Laban's a deal cutter, and we're going to see this. Laban remembers the wealth. He's like, right, look, this is uh, this is Abraham's bunch. Uh, this the, the, they got money, uh, they've got a lot of wealth, and being in good with them is a good thing. He's as excited about Jacob being there as Jacob is excited about being there because he thinks this is going to be a good thing for me. He's certainly not upset about him kissing Rachel, I'll tell you that. And so he he embraces him, he kisses him. Uh, he knows the wealth and influence that just walked into his house, and he is fully aware of it, and he is fired up about it. So, uh, so we will see in the upcoming deception uh, that um, that that Laban is going to cut a deal that is going. You know, I always look for the win-win. Can we not look for a win-win? Laban's the kind of guy he looks for a win for him and a good luck to you. Uh, so, so he he is he is ready to deal. But anyway, uh, so after Jacob tells him the whole deal, which Laban must be even more excited now, uh, Laban is convinced he's family. He has no questions about that. Uh, and uh, and he, uh, he, he, he knows now because he's telling him what Isaac told him. So at this point, Laban finds out when it says Jacob told him everything. Laban's finding out, wait a minute, you're here to marry a cousin. And I got two of them. So, uh, so he's, he's really stoked now. And he says that, you know, I intend to stay with you about a month. And Laban says, that sounds good to me. So, so now we hit 15 through 30. Okay. Everybody got the background so far? What's happened? Now I have written in, in the notes that I've taken about where we're going next. This is my title. Let the deception begin. So now Laban is going to cut himself a sweet, sweet deal. Uh, so let's look at 15. Then Laban, uh, Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? So Jacob's already telling him, look, I'll stay here. I'll work for you. And, um, you're going to watch Laban. I mean, he, he could, he could stand on any used car lot in, in, in the city where you are now located, wherever you may be hearing this, because he knows how to talk to talk. And so, um, then here comes the part. You ever had this happen to you? Tell me what your wages should be. You ever been around these people? But what do you think it's worth? And, and you know what they're doing? They're fishing for a deal. They know what it's worth, and they're wondering if you do. And so they want you to name your price. I, I can tell you. So I learned in my contract negotiation stuff, I always throw out a price that will, that will part your hair. You know what? If, if you're going to put me in that position, I'm, I'm going to swing for the fence, okay? And, uh, and, then, and then when you're shocked, we'll get back to what's reasonable. But, 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 I, but I'm coming out with a dilly, you know what? And uh, I remember telling the guy one time that I said, uh, he said, well, what do you think, the, what do you think your, your show is worth? And I said, well, I'm, I said, we're about to find out how courageous you are. You, I'd like to see you show some courage. And uh, so then he was more than willing to start throwing out some numbers at that point. Always throw something. Anybody ever put you in that situation? You just, I mean, you throw out something outlandish. Just, just how much you think your car's worth? I think it's worth $80,000. You know what I mean? What? You know what I mean? And, and then you go from there. Uh, but anyway, so Laban offers to pay Jacob for his work. Uh, Jacob's a relative. He's not a hired hand. So Laban puts the burden on payment on Jacob. Uh, and um, the, the, the key to the words that we need to pick out here is he says, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Okay. So th this is going the wages. Um, you're going to serve me. You're going to work. We're going to find this work and wages is going to be key going forward. Okay. You're going, these terms are now going to set up the whole deception because Laban wants to establish, you work for me in return for this. So we're, we are agreeing that. This is not family. I don't owe you anything. We're, going, we're, we're cutting a business deal. You work, I pay. You see, but this is important because he's, he's establishing that's how the formula is going to go. Okay? Uh, and that's going to allow him to do what he wants to do. So verse 16 and 17 now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. 17, Leah's eyes were weak. Now some of your Bibles are going to say soft. 
Some will say um, uh, there, there's various things, but um, uh, in the English Standard Version, it says weak because remember the English English Standard Version, which is the one I like to teach from. It's not as poetic as some of the others, but it's real literal. Here's the best English word we can find for the Hebrew here in the Old Testament, and the English Standard uh, says I likes the word weak, but it does allow for you to also to use you to use the word soft. But but remember, every time you see the word but, that means the opposite is true of Rachel. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And we don't want to go too far with this, but Moses does let us know. He just doesn't say appearance. He says also in form. So, uh, so what, what we're finding here is that Leah is a little homely uh, and Rachel is fine. Okay, that 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 that's really it. You got a beautiful woman, and you've got a not as beautiful woman. Okay, and 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 Jacob picks up on this pretty quick. Uh, it must because I'm sure it was very very obvious. And it says in 18, okay, because Rachel being beautiful in form. Let me tell you what's kind of interesting about this. If you want to look 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 forward, uh, because when when you see what it says about Leah, God lover. It's it's saying, and there's been a lot of debate about this. And I read some of the commentor, uh, commentaries. Some of the translations say her eyes were tender. I told you this one says weak. Some say soft, uh, dull. Seeing that too. But the bottom line, it really doesn't matter. I, sometimes I think we get into these philosophical conversations about stuff that just don't matter. It doesn't matter. It's obvious that Moses says Leah is more homely than Rebecca. That's all he's saying. And and to make more of it. Uh, is probably just interesting, but but doesn't really matter. Um, and and he's saying that there is a contrast between these two women. Um, and and now Rachel, this description of her beauty, this is very very interesting. Rachel, as we know, if y'all want to go ahead and look forward, I, you know, because we probably know you know who these people are, we're going to see Rachel's son Joseph, which we're going to spend a tremendous amount of time on in the future of this study. Uh, he also is described as being handsome and beautiful in appearance. So, you know, he's, he's, he, he takes after his mama. So these are two people in Scripture that, uh, that you see uh, these type of descriptive words used. So in 18, Laban says, um, uh, I'm sorry, in, in 18, Jacob says, Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. That's my deal. I like her. Uh, Jacob uh, says on first appearance, I think I'd rather be married to Rachel than Leah. Uh, and so I pick, I pick the younger daughter, and I'll work seven years for her to be my wife. I'll cut that deal right now. Shows again that, uh, that Rachel, had he was completely in love with her, uh, and he was willing to work. Now, if you, if you look at the price of that, remember we've talked about this in our past chapters. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, twenty two twenty nine. Has, uh, does establish that a good price for a wife, uh, meaning, uh, and that was, this was common uh, in this culture, it was expected that you would offer daddy something for his uh, daughter, that, that, uh, that an, uh, an asking price that was considered really good, uh, and the, the limit you could do was 50 shekels. So some of the commentators did some math on this, and seven years of work equates to about anywhere from 42 on the low end to 84 shekels. Um, and so you see this was a, this was a good price uh, that Laban has been offered for Rachel. Uh, and uh, due to his love for her, you'll see that the time for him passed quickly. Isn't that true? You know, when, when I've heard it said before that the key – to living our daily lives in the grind of a fallen creation, we we obviously know that once we've been redeemed, we've been given a peace that is supernatural that defies all understanding. But from the flesh standpoint, if you've ever been involved in something you didn't really want to do, uh, one of the things that you've always heard is the key to getting through things is to always have something to look forward to. You know, just just all, don't you always like that? You put something out in front of you that you go, I'm doing this, but I got this coming up. I always have something to look forward to. Well, the beauty of Rachel and his love for her, it says, caused these seven years to go by quickly. And I love when when Moses says that. Uh, Laban says, it is better that I give her to you. 
than that I give her to any other man. Stay with me. And then verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. We can all relate to that, can't we? Time passes quickly uh, when you're doing it for a reason that you are completely excited about. So um, we all know what Laban's about to do. So this is a this is kind of a crafty little move that he that he pulls here when he throws out that there should be nobody else. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't marry her off to anybody but you. I am so thankful that you've come here and you've picked Rachel. Now y'all know that he's already working his plan, but he's selling it right now. No man on this planet can have Rachel but you, and I'm so glad it's you. You ever been around these kind of people? My dad has a phrase for them that I cannot use in a Bible study. But, uh, but anyway, um, the, um, so we know what's happening here. And by the way, Dad's analogy is about trying to convince somebody it's raining when you're actually doing something else. But anyway, so, so Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. You know what he's saying? I've been waiting on this, and I, I want my wife, and we're going to consummate the marriage, and I've waited seven years for this, and I've been working for you. I've done what I was supposed to do, and I love your daughter, and I cannot wait for, uh, for our honeymoon. And so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. Now, that's key. Uh, because you know, what what Jacob's asking for did not happen in the culture. They're they're not married yet, so I mean, you don't. He doesn't say, I've, "Today's the end of my seven years. Now find me some place to take my wife and give us some privacy." There's a whole wedding feast that takes place. I mean, it is a big, big ordeal. Well, unfortunately, uh, a wedding feast usually features wine, uh, and Laban has got plenty of it. And, and he is setting up what he's going to do. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Uh, that was not the plan. Uh, Laban gave his female servant uh, Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. That's an interesting drop in by Moses there, but we'll, we'll talk about that. All right, so Jacob wants to be paid. He's 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 a little he's a little brusque in the beginning. He's like, "Give me my wife," but Laban is not offended because he's cutting a deal. See, that should have been the first sign to Jacob right there. He sees that Jacob is ready to roll, and he didn't say, "Hey, man, easy. We got a wedding feast coming up. We're going to do this right. Don't don't disrespect my daughter by thinking you're going to grab her and run off with her." That should have been a key to Jacob right there, the way he acted, that Laban never said, hold up now, hey, hold your horses. Uh, He just starts throwing the feast. So he calls Rachel his wife, and Laban accepts that as a marriage contract. He doesn't dispute it. It it took place before the couple had ever cohabitated. If you look at the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24, or in the New Testament of Matthew 1, 18 through 20, you would see that there will be a wedding feast. That they invite the community. You see that going on here. Uh, and then we're told about the deception that Laban takes Leah and brings her to Jacob instead of Rachel. The marriage is consummated. Now, don't miss all of us living where we live are going, Moses, how in the world does this happen? How, how does Jacob, obsessed with Rachel, not know that he's sleeping with Leah? I, I, but the ancient readers, this is nothing to them because they know exactly how it happened. And, and first of all, it's not like now. You, 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 don't, you never got an opportunity in this culture, un, for, I mean, fortunately, but unfortunately now, Sadly, a lot of young men can already see their wife almost naked before they've ever, uh, ever, ever been married to them because of the bathing suits they walk around in, the clothing they walk around in, the skirts they wear, uh, and and a, and a lot of this. I mean, sadly, sometimes even at church, if you're interested in a young lady, you can get a good look at her legs before you ever marry her. But uh, but how about this? That was not the case in this culture. The women were covered. They were modest. 
And when they were married, they had a veil over their face. And when they were brought to their husband, they don't have electricity. Uh, We're talking about candles, if that's even available. But it was custom that she would come to him in the dark. She'd be very modest. Her face would be covered. And many of the commentators say Jacob's been – he's been partying. He's been at the feast. He's been at the wedding celebration. He's worked seven years and you can bet that Laban kept asking him if he would like another. Uh, and uh, and so uh, so Jacob is probably, he's so fired up, he's probably not questioning too much. But in, in, in this time, it would really not have been a huge deception for a husband to be waiting on his wife to consummate the marriage. And whoever you sent in there, they would consummate the marriage. He's never seen her body. He's never... Had it, I don't want to be too graphic, but he hasn't had his hands on her or anything like that. He doesn't know what her body feels like. He doesn't know. He can't see what her face looks like. He can't. I mean, this is not as far fetched as it may seem to us uh, in our culture. Uh, and so it, it, it was done. Uh, so um, uh, you can read about this too. Uh, if you'll go back to 24, uh, chapter 24, 65, you'll see the, about the bride having a veil. Also, if you go to the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, you see about the veil. Chapter 6, verse 9, about the, the woman being covered. So you'll see that in Scripture as well. Um, now, why in the world does Moses throw in that Laban went ahead and gave Leah, not Rachel, a, a maidservant, Zilpah? Uh, this was a gift to his daughter. Uh, so what you see that he's, he's doing the full deal. That's very customary. You would give your daughter a maidservant to take care of her, and uh, and he he's he's doing the full blown. I want this thing to be legal. I want it to be done, and I don't want there to be any way that he can get out of it. And you will see going forward as things get even stranger, uh, is you're going to see that uh, uh, Zilpah is also going to birth some children for Jacob later in chapter thirty. So she's going to show back up. Uh, so now let's go to 25 through 27. Um, 25 through 27 after this has happened. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Now that ought to tell you, he didn't know it till the morning. Okay, in the morning, it is Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, why is it that you have done this to me? Did I not uh, serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? I wonder how that felt when he said that. How you trick me? How do you, have you ever had a sin in your life, or you had done something to somebody you shouldn't have done, and all of a sudden it comes back on you? And the first time you say, "I can't believe you did that to me," you realize you've done that to somebody else, and you kind of think to yourself, "Who am I to complain?" Well, I can't believe you did. You kind of catch yourself in the middle, of going, "What we really should say is, I can't believe you just did to me what I've done to people." And uh, and that had to be a moment for Jacob to use the phrase, why have you deceived me? The deceiver himself has now been deceived. And Laban said, is it not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn? you got to love this guy. Well, I mean, it was unreasonable for you to ask for the younger daughter. That's not appropriate. You, you should have. I'm supposed to marry off the older one first. You know, if you're if you're Jacob, you're like, yeah, you didn't bring that up. You never even mentioned that. Uh, you let me go ahead and and cut this deal, and now I love Laban. Laban, the, the the great deceivers, the ones that are really good at it, and a lot of them are serving in in our in our uh, our government right now. The the great deceivers and the ones that are the best. And when I was a liar and a cheat, I I was a master of this. When I'm the one who's done the wrong, I can't believe you're questioning me on it. What? What are you talking about? Everybody knows you don't take the younger daughter first, didn't you? I thought you were just kidding. I thought you knew you was going to marry Leah first, right? Everybody knows that. And, you know, you find yourself at some point with the ones that are good at you, you're like, did I miss something? You know what? I would always, if I when I was really good at deceiving, I would try to help you figure out who deceived you when it was me who did it. Well, hey, let's get to the bottom of this. We'll find out who did this to you. And then I'm looking for myself. Which means what? I was never found. So, 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 what, what's what's going on here 
is that he is really looking at Jacob like he can't believe he's making this accusation. Well, everybody knows this. And and so he, uh, he and then 27, complete the week of this one. That's nice, Dad. You call your daughter this one. Uh, and we will give you um, the other also in return for serving me for another seven years. And, and don't miss, this is smart on Laban's part too. Oh, well, it's it's dastardly is what it is. It's it's uh, and, and he says he knows that he shouldn't say seven more years before you can have Rachel because he's probably he's probably about to get beat up by the guy that moved the stone by himself. Okay, what he says is, look, finish out the celebration for Leah. Let's get to the end of the week, and then you can have Rachel, and then you work for me seven more years. He's not making him wait on Rachel for seven years. He only got to wait on Rachel for a week. And so he's Jacob's thinking, well, in a week I can have this beautiful woman that I'm madly in love with. And I think he's so in love with Rachel, obviously, because that's what he does. Uh, he agrees to the deal. And um, the deceiver has been deceived. Uh, and Laban actually owns up to the original deal. But you know what you love? You ever have this guy? You know the guys who are the masters of this? And I, there's some people going to jail for this. What they'll do, and he's got Jacob in this position, and I've seen it happen in our business a thousand times. You, the, These big wigs would come in to buy these little local radio stations because they were figuring out a way to build a network of stations. And they would tell them, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $3 million for this station. And then you have the mom and pop that's on this thing forever. They think they'll never work a day of their life. They're done. They're going to retire on this money. They're selling off this radio station. It comes down to the close, and they've already thought of all. They already spent this money. They've already invested this money. They've already got the house picked out. They got the land picked out. They got the car picked out. They got the vacation picked out. And right at the closing, what did you say? Well, we've looked at this. There are some things you didn't tell me about the tower, and we went up and looked at the engineer's site, and it's got some things going to have to be repaired there. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 2.5. And now you're at closing, and you and you, and what you know what happened nine out of ten times, they they'd sell it cheaper, and the whole time they've been told one thing, but they get them right to the end, and you're all excited about selling this thing, and then somebody says, well, if we can't, if it's going to be three million, I have to back out. I probably can do it for two five, and they do it, and um and that's what Laban has just done. He knows he wants Rachel. He's made that clear. Look, let's face it. Laban made the ultimate negotiation mistake. He's already told the person he's negotiating with how bad he wants what the guy's got. <laughs> right? If you've ever done any investigations, if you ever like, if you ever like a car so much, you're gonna pay the most for it. You need you, what you try to do? Say, well, I can take it or leave it. If you got your eye on a piece of land, and they think that you can't live without it, you need to act like you probably could. And uh, and, and and by the way, you can. Okay, but but in this case, Laban knows he's got him, and uh, and there's no position for Jacob to get out. Uh, so Jacob has uh, he can't protect himself. He agrees to the deal a week, and he loved Rachel so much. And uh, and here's what happened next. So Jacob did so in verse 28 and completed uh, and completed uh, her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant. Uh, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel, so she gets one too. That's customary. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban for another seven years. Boy, we got a problem here, don't we? By the way, you're going to see that uh, Rachel also does something that we've heard before with this family. Bilhah is going to bear sons for Jacob, this maidservant. Does that sound familiar? So Jacob gets Rachel. He loves her more than Leah. He worked the seven years. Uh, and, and what we did is, is Laban walks away. He has got 14 years out of Jacob working for him, and he's married off his homely older daughter into a wealthy family, and he threw in Rachel uh, to, try to, to try to sweeten the deal just a little bit. But he walks away. And says, I tell you what, I've made out real, real good on this. I have deceived the deceiver. But then this last sentence comes up. 
So Jacob went into Rachel, consummated the marriage, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. How do you think that's going to go? So, you know, this is why when you look at creation, you see that when God said that it is not good that man is alone, and he said, I will now make for him the perfect helper, meaning it didn't exist yet, he did not say, let me see if I can't roll out four or five of them for you. He made one. And you know one way that you won't love one wife more than another and you won't have a bunch of kids who hate each other and everybody is, there's all kinds of problems, if you just marry one woman. Everybody in the Bible that, that violates this, they bring chaos. And I love when people say, well, why is it, why, why, well God, God, he, he didn't, he said, he let these, these multiple wives. No, every time it was a disaster. What you see is people doing what God said not to do and paying a price for it. Everybody who does the multiple wife thing pays a price for it. Now, Jacob's been tricked into it. That, there's no doubt about that. But the problem is still the same. He loves one of the women. He doesn't love the other one. But yet they're both his wives now. So uh, verses 31 through 35, we're going to enter into um, a quick theme, and then we'll wrap up. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Here we go again. Sarah's barren. Rebecca has a hard time conceiving. Do you remember that, how much Isaac had to pray for those twins? What is it with these women in this family that God keeps making them barren? But then he produces children miraculously in all these wombs that seem to have problems. And these men, the women that they love the most, are the ones that can't seem to conceive. What is all this about? Well, number one, as we said back at Sarah, God is setting up throughout Scripture that he is the maker of miraculous births. As a matter of fact, he's even going to cause a birth without a man involved to a virgin. And he's showing that he can do it. As he keeps taking these women who are barren, and he will eventually produce children on his time. What else is he doing? Testing the men and the woman to see if they will still have faith in him to produce the child, or will they try to do it their own way? And every single one of them, except for Isaac, and then he ends up having some other issues, they end up cutting a deal to try to do it some other way. It's a test of their faith as God tests our faith. 32, and Leah, the one that was deemed homely, conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name shall be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Underline that. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. So we enter into these themes, Leah's desire for the love of Jacob and Rachel's desire for children. Look at this. I mean, they're both, they both have their own problems. One wants her husband to love her. The other wants to give the husband who does love her children, and she can't. And in the middle of all this, guess what we see, guys? Now, this is the part, ladies who may be watching or listening, where it transitions to a men's Bible study, okay, which is the foundation. Where's Jacob in all this? He seems really passive. I mean, he knows he doesn't love Leah, but he's more than willing to keep sleeping with her and producing children. He only speaks one sentence. Did you notice that of all these sons that Leah's cranking out, he doesn't name one of them? He, his involvement in this is very, very basic. 
Do you realize how how many men in, in, in this culture didn't participate in naming their sons? That was not the culture. Jacob is so aloof about this, he's not even bothering with naming them. Now, you hear the names she's cranking out, that the tribes of, of, of Israel, here they, here they come. Um, I mean, so, so she's, she's cranking them out, and he's not even involved in this. He's in a passive uh, position. He says, you know what? I'll have sex with whomever you two determine. Who y'all sending me tonight? If you send me Leah, then I'll sleep with her. If Rachel comes in here, we'll try again. But he's, he, he's not doing his job of, first of all, maybe spending some time trying to help Leah with the fact that he was deceived by her father. He should at least have, at least have some compassion about that, about the position she's been put in by her daddy because women didn't have much say in this culture, if any. You know, they, they were treated like property. Where's Jacob's compassion for at least the situation she's in? What about, you know, going to Rachel saying, I loved you, your dad did this to me, but Leah should be treated with some sort of respect because she is my wife too. But you don't see any of that going on. You don't see him really, sounds like, where's the compassion for Rachel who can't conceive? And her watching Leah go in and conceive and conceive and conceive, you don't see him really dealing with that. And you know what else we see in all this, don't you? God's opening the wombs at his time and his will. He's opening whoever's womb he wants to, and he's closing whoever he wants to. He's trying to teach Jacob. He's trying to make Jacob see his sin from a different point of view, and so far we're not seeing a lot going on. Reuben uh, we know the name is the name really is behold a son or the Lord has seen me and seen my affliction, but it did not bring Jacob's love to her. Simeon, God has heard the cries of being unloved. That didn't do it. Levi, the word means attached, hoping it would attach her to Jacob. It didn't. But look where she finally gets with Judah. No mention of Jacob. Look what she says about Judah. This time, I will praise the Lord. I'm done with placing my faith in a human being. I'm trying to make this man love me, and I can't do it, and I need to realize these sons are coming from the Lord. So I'm going to thank him for them because I'm, I'm, I'm done with trying to make this something that's going to draw Jacob to me. What I need to do is focus on I'm raising these sons for the Lord. He has given me these sons. So when she gets to Judah, she's done with any comment on Jacob. There comes a time sometimes when you realize that the only person I can really trust is the one who has loved me unconditionally, and that is my Lord and Savior. That is my Father in heaven. I've seen so many people that have husband and daddy problems, and, they, and, and, and so many times finally they find healing when they turn to their heavenly Father. No one is fatherless. No one has no one who loves them. Because I promise you, God loves you. He loves you. Jacob would never again be free from the tension and the strife in his house. His father's home had been divided because of a wrong relationship between conflicting parental roles and sibling rivalry. With Jacob taking the initiative, his own family life from the start was taken and torn by what? Rivalries. And later, unfortunately, hatred. We reap what we sow. So the question before all of us today as we close, what is it that you're sowing? What, what, what is it that, that you're doing right now that you need to stop? What, what is it in your attitude and, and in your life that needs to be corrected? What is it that God has clearly said, this is my standard and we are doing the opposite? What, what are things that need to be repaired in your marriage if you're married? What are some things that need to be changed in your parental style that needs to be changed? 
What is it that needs to change in the way that you are courting the person that you are going to marry? I'm going to tell you as a man that's 57 years old, especially to the younger men and the younger women, God's right. Learn that now and do things the way he said to do them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this, um, this tough lesson. But, Lord, thank you for the grace and the mercy that you will show Jacob as you have shown us. And you will show Rachel as you have shown us. And you will show Leah. Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that today that, that whatever area of our life that needs to be adjusted, maybe we have a spirit of deception. We are deceivers. That today we'll repent of that sin. But thank you for loving us enough that you discipline those that you love. And it's always an unpleasant experience. But the fruit that you produce, Lord, cannot be denied. Thank you for loving us enough to discipline us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.